listening to The Home Recording Show, hosted by Ryan Canestro and John Tidy. Find us online at homerecordingshow.com. Welcome back. With me this week is Brandon S. Heyer from the Metal Shop Podcast. What's up? How you doing? And I'm John Tidy. You can find me at epicsounds.ca, reaperblog.net, and audiogeekzine.com. You can find our show on Facebook, facebook.com slash home recording show. This week, we have a great segment sent in by Brock on mobile drum recording. And after that, Brandon and I are going to catch up on what's been happening uh, since he was last on the show. All right, let's get into the segment. Hello, everybody. I'm Brock Altwinger from Madi Wati Recordings. And today, in honor of Ryan deciding to go a little more mobile, I'm going to talk a little bit about recording in tough environments and more specifically about recording drums in, in different and tough environments, which is probably the hardest instrument to record if you don't have a great room to do them in. So I'll start out with a quick rundown of the stuff I take on the road with me. we got everybody's favorite interface, the DigiDesign 003 Plus, two Universal Audio 710 preamps, PreSonus Bluetooth stereo preamp, of course, the Shure SM57 and SM7B, the Audix i5, D2, D4, D6, a pair of Sterling ST55 large diaphragm condensers, pretty cheap condensers, but they've always worked really great for me for drum overheads and for acoustic guitars. So those are the main components, but of course you always want to have headphones, headphone amp, cables, stands, and all that kind of stuff. All right, so let's go through some examples. For the ones I recorded and mixed all the way through, I'll take you through the raw tracks, the EQ'd and compressed tracks, then we'll add reverb, and then we'll listen to it in the song for context. And just a quick note, whenever you're recording in a different room every time, obviously that room is going to dictate where you put the instrument, how you set up the mics. You're basically just trying to filter out the ugliness of a crappy room. Or if you're lucky, capture what's really good about a really good room. So we'll go through these examples and talk about things that I learned from trying to do just that. So in the first example here, we tracked drums, bass, and guitar all at the same time in the band's house. The drums were in the living room, and we had the amps in two separate rooms. The living room was probably 24 by 30, maybe 12 foot high ceilings, a thick carpet on the floor, and a few couches in there to deaden the room a little bit too. The band wanted a somewhat dead drum sound, so that kind of made my job a little bit easier because the room was pretty dead. We had a space pair of ST55s for the overheads, 57 on the snare, D2 on the rack tom, D4 on the floor tom. Typically use the D6 for kick, but they wanted to use their D112, so customer's always right. So let's listen to those raw tracks a little bit. This is just levels and panning, a little bit of bus compression from the SSL bus compressor, and here we go. All right, so for drums tracked in the living room, I felt like they came out pretty good. We had pretty good separation between the overheads. When I was setting those up, I tried to make sure the null point of the microphone was pointed towards more of the corners of the room, so hopefully I could void out any gross buildup that might happen in those areas. Really, my only complaint would be the kick sound, which it was recorded with a D112. What can you do? Let's take a quick listen to the finished product. And the name of that band is Criminal Hygiene, if you're interested in checking out more of their stuff. They're really good songwriters, really fun band, really good stuff. That song actually appeared in the Showtime show Shameless, although it was only for five seconds and they cut it up extremely weird, but I suppose it's cool to have on your resume anyway. On this next example, we did all the instruments separately, so I got to concentrate solely on drums when we were recording it, which is always a relief. It was in a pretty small, dead practice space. Uh, in Los Angeles, so we did have to deal with a lot of out, outside noise. I find it's somewhat easy to deal with that as long as you use your low cuts on everything. Uh, it didn't really seem to be much of a problem as you'll hear in the tracks coming up. So went with almost the same setup, we had the Space ST55s, D2 and D4 on the toms, but this time I had the I5 on the snare and the D6 on the kick and I just took the front head completely off the kick. This was actually recorded on uh, 
pretty much my favorite drum set to record. It was the Ludwig Vista Light. Every time I've ever recorded it, it sounds great, no matter what style of music. Great drum set. I love it. And here are the raw tracks from that session. So once again, I thought the raw tracks were pretty good considering the circumstances. It was another really low ceiling room, and the overheads were pretty close to the ceiling, and I think that created a kind of a weird phase thing you can hear going on with the cymbals there. But at the end, it still had a stereo image that was pretty good, and I was pretty pleased with it. But if I had to do it again, I might use a different overhead configuration. One thing we didn't catch as we were tracking was the floor tom making a really low rumbling sound every time the kick drum hit, and that mic kept picking it up. But instead of that being a huge problem, we ended up using it to our advantage and I moved it to a different track, threw some weird effects on it and just made it sound like a huge reverb for the kick. And we'll hear a little bit more of that in these next examples with the EQ compression and the rest of the effects on there. So let's check that out. All right, now let's listen to it with the reverb that ended up going in the final mix. And a quick snippet of the actual song. continuing to give props to the artists that I've been fortunate enough to work with. That was Pisces, the side project of the lead singer of a band called Happy Hollows here in LA. And although that song was never released, uh, Pisces and Happy Hollows continue to put out great music, so check them out. All right, moving on. Next couple of examples are from another live recording session at an artist's house. This house had tile floors, so there's going to be a lot more sound bouncing around, a lot more possible problems to have to deal with. We had two acoustic guitarists, a bassist, a cellist, occasional pedal steel, all playing along with the drums at once. But we were able to put the drums in their own room. Once again, we had the ST55s as overheads, this time in the Glenn Johns configuration, a 57 on the snare, D2, D4 on the toms, and then uh, the D6 on the kick, not inside, but right outside the batter head, right outside the hole. Diaphragm was almost even with it. So let's take a listen to that. All right, not so bad. Pretty good stereo image. Uh, pretty big snare sound. These guys are kind of alt-country. Uh, nice live sound. I, I really ended up liking the room tone. Once again, I had the null points of the overheads pointed towards the worst-sounding parts of the room. So let's hear that with a little bit of EQ and compression. Now let's listen to it with the reverb that we added for the final mix.
And here's a little bit of how they sounded in the song. And for you alt-country buffs that I know are out there, that band is called Bones Maroney. So definitely check them out, and you can download that whole EP that we worked on. And Maroney is spelled M-U-H-R-O-N-I. All right, so these next examples are from the same session that same day, except that the side overhead got moved a little bit. I moved the D6 into the kick, pointed at the beater, and the drummer changed his snare. But interesting to hear the difference those small changes made. first thing that I noticed is the stereo image got a little bit smeared. Moving that side mic really, really affected that. Uh, it turned out I had it right the first time. I think the reason we moved it is I thought that it was getting too much air from the cymbal because it was kind of miking the side of the, of the ride in a way. So in hindsight, might have overthought it a little bit. Didn't really need to move it. Had it right the first time. Let's listen to the progression of those drums as they got processed more and more. with the reverb that was used in the final mix. And a little bit of the full song. Moving on to the final example. This was another live recording with all the musicians playing at once. They'd rented out a huge dance studio. It was, it was for a live performance video without an audience. So all the, all the instruments were grouped right in the middle of the room. But the room sounded great. I only had eight inputs to work with, uh, two guitarists, bassists, and drummers. So I went with the Glenn Johns once again with the ST55s and just one, the 57 on the snare, D6 in the kick and no Tom mics. This was once again my good friend Richie Eppolito on the Ludwig Vista Light. Great drummer, great drum set, and an awesome room. And uh, this one I was really, really happy with the drum sound, so let's take a listen to that. So really the only thing that could be viewed as a problem uh, is the bleed, which there's nothing that could have been done about that. So I was pretty happy about it. I ended up not using any extra reverb or anything. So the only thing I did was uh, levels, EQ, compression, painting. So let's take a listen to the just the drums alone with all that stuff.
And let's take a quick listen with the rest of the instruments where you can hear that the bleed really wasn't a problem. So really my biggest takeaway from these experiences was to always listen to the room and, and let the room dictate your instrument placement and your mic placement. You can't really just show up to a random room that you've never been in before and, and just set up mics. Even if you're being fundamentally correct with your mic placement on the instrument, if it's not set up to cancel or enhance the room, you're not doing yourself any favors. And you'll probably end up with a lot of problems that you're going to have to deal with in the mixing phase, which you never want to do. Obviously, you want to capture the best sound possible at the source. So my main technique, if, if you already know how to set up mics on an actual drum, you know the basics of microphone placement on an instrument, the best advice I could give you if you're recording in a crazy room, listen to the room, go around to each and every corner of the room, every part of the room, and use your ear. Pretend like it's the diaphragm of a mic. Whatever your ears are going to be picking up, that mic's probably going to be picking up as well. So if it sounds like shit, you know you're not going to be wanting any mics picking that up. Which sounds pretty simple to say, but putting it into practice is usually a different animal. You're usually a little bit hurried and under pressure. you got a lot of stuff to do for a recording session. But it really is the best use of your time to figure out where the worst parts of a room are if you're not in a studio. And what I found to be really effective was to find the worst part of the room and point the null point of your most sensitive mic towards the worst part of the room, which is usually in, in a drum recording situation, your overheads. So even if the room doesn't sound great, you can at least get rid of the worst parts of the room and still have a good drum sound, regardless of the room. So I hope that helps some of my fellow home recording engineers out. Drums seem to be the absolute hardest thing to do outside of a professional studio. And I've heard some pretty poor results from home recorded drums. And that definitely includes the first couple of times that I tried recording drums in a mobile situation. And th those first couple of times that I did it, I didn't listen to the room. And, and it almost sounds obvious, but I, I feel like I've known a lot of engineers that probably don't do that. And it really is actually a really good use of time, even though sometimes you're in a hurry or you might be under pressure. But really, maybe 15, 20 minutes of listening to a room is going to do so much for your recording uh, long term. So thanks for listening. Thank you so much to Ryan and John for consistently being badasses and putting out an awesome show that we all love. Once again, my name's Brock Haltoinger. You can find me on the web at facebook.com slash A-W-E recordings. And that's just uh, one word, no spaces or dashes or anything. Soundcloud.com slash Adiwati, which is slash A-U-D-I dash w-h-a-t dash e-e and if you like what you hear there and are interested in working with me you can email me at brockhalti at gmail.com that's b-r-o-c-k-h-a-l-t-i at gmail.com i got the mobile recording rig serving the los angeles area and of course can mix and master anything you might want to send my way from wherever you might be Thanks once again for listening, and here's a little outro music with the man, the myth, the legend, Richard Dickey Epps Eppolito on the drums. First off, thanks so much to Brock for making this awesome segment for us. Very awesome segment. There's so much good stuff in there, uh, awesome clips. I think it's worth pointing out that he's got a pretty minimal setup. Um, sometimes he's limited to just eight inputs. 
and his mic collection is very modest. Mm-hmm. A couple standards like 57s, cheap condensers. It all comes down to experience, listening, putting it in the right spot. Exactly. I mean, if based on the samples that he was providing, he's doing a lot of great stuff with that minimalist approach. And that's kind of the way that I've always worked, too. You know, I, I didn't have like the, the huge uh, racks of interfaces and, and mic pre's and microphones all over the place to pick a whole bunch of awesome stuff. I had to go with like eight choices that worked really well and pick, pick which one would sound best on the source and just kind of go with it. And he's doing that with a very good result. So, the, you know, good on him. Yeah, but halfway through, I was thinking... These really don't sound like home studio productions. No, like they the don't. drums sound much bigger than that. Oh yeah. You know, a lot of that is, you know, the room, putting the drums in the right spot, putting the mics in the right spot on the drums, mm-hmm. but also great drummers every time. Oh, exactly. And that was a huge difference. Exactly. I've I've had great drummers in poor rooms and it came out sounding like crap. And I've had poor drummers in great rooms and well it still came sounds, out sounding like crap like... for a different reason. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. this one situation comes to mind. Um I was recording a band in their rehearsal space, which was in their basement, and their drum set was up on a riser. Uh so you no chance of moving it, you know. It, it didn't sound as good as it possibly could have, but, um, you know, we, we just kind of worked with it and made it work as it was. And one of the big complaints when they tried to get it played on, you know, rock radio here in Columbus, Ohio, was the, the guy who ran the local show said the drums sound like they were recorded in a basement. And I was just like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> you know, because it, it wasn't it wasn't ideal. I couldn't really change any of that. But I mean, that definitely reminds me of that kind of a setup. And although I did the best I could with my placement, I, I wasn't really in control of where everything was. And it wasn't the best situation. So if you have the ability to go into a situation and say, OK, let's clear out this room and find the best spot for this. Even if all you do is walk around while you're smacking a snare drum that you're holding and listen for where it sounds best and then say, here, that's where we're putting up the drum kit. That's something that if you have the chance to do, do it because it will make all the it'll make a world of difference. You heard these samples; they sounded great. And if if you hadn't told me they were a home recording or a mobile recording, I wouldn't have known. Yeah, yeah. And on that note, um, if you're doing a recording for a band or your, your own project, you need to find the best spot in the room. It may not look like the right spot, right? You know, having the drums up on the riser that might look cool. Mm-hmm. You know, more like a live show, right. great for rehearsals. But not great for recording. No, definitely not. And and you must convince the drummer and the rest of the band to listen to you and work with you to find the best spot. Right. Because getting the drums right makes everything else easier. And fortunately, that was a lesson that I learned the hard way on that particular project. Um, uh, you know, I was still kind of getting my feet wet in a lot of areas. So I just kind of went with it and said, all right, we'll make it work. And then I did the best I could with it, but it still sounded like it sounded. So, you yeah. know, what, what are you going to do? Um, you know, had Bas- I, basements are really tough. Basements are very tough. And if you don't bring in acoustic treatment and things like that, if you don't have that as part of your mobile kit, it's... Definitely tricky. Yeah, they they had couches. <laughs> no, yeah. um, couch couch cushions skewered mm-hmm. on mic stands right. and things like that. Right. Um, yeah. You know, uh, mobile kit. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, some of the things I used to t- carry around would have been you know moving blankets, collapsible gobos that I would make, and I could just kind of you know take them apart in segments and pile them up in the trunk of my car. You know, things like that that you can take around with you. Like you want it to be minimal, but you also want to have everything for every possible situation. Right. So like, even if you're just minimal, like, okay, it's eight inputs. So I need Mm -hmm. eight mic stands Mm -hmm. and I need eight cables Mm -hmm. and that's already uh, 200 pounds of weight. (laughs) (laughs) And and then I need eight mics Mm -hmm. and then I need, um, let's see, the three options for other mics, Mm -hmm. you know, a a second set of overhead mics, second set of room mics. um, And then, you need uh, two two sets of headphones mm-hmm. and possibly a more powerful headphone amp than what's in your interface. Right. And, you know, adding a second interface and another eight mics, another mm-hmm. eight stands. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it gets complicated. It can. Even if I just strip it down to like, okay, I'm only going to use four mics on this drum kit. Mm-hmm. What's more important is remembering to bring a drum key mm-hmm. or remembering to bring moon gels mm-hmm. or an extra set of sticks or, you know, something like that. That seems to come in handy more than you know one extra input right i, I not having a hi-hat mic you. 
or something like that, I can live with. I completely but agree. drums that are out of tune. Right. Because the drummer doesn't know how to tune right. and doesn't bring doesn't own a key. Right. That's not something you can live with. No, it's not. And I made the mistake of living with that a few times and the recording suffered. But, you know, again, still spreading my wings at that time, didn't exactly understand a lot of that. And I learned it the hard way. We all kind of go through that as we're learning. You don't just automatically start knowing all of that. But uh, there's a lot of different facets that go into the, the, the mobile aspect of the recording. And even when, if you're trying to keep it simple, you know, I was using a Boss BR 1600 CD and going around to people's basements and using that as what I would record with. Because, you know, okay, computer and interface all in one, just dedicated for recording, simple setup and move on and go. But, you know, it was very limited. The priest sounded like crap. Um, but, you know, you work with what you have. Even with that little bit of uh, of a setup, I was still able to go around to a lot of different places and capture a lot of different uh, musicians in a lot of different uh, types of spaces. And I learned a lot about controlling acoustics with just the things that you happen to have with you. You know, it was a very eye-opening experience to kind of go at it in a gorilla kind of way that I did back when I lived in Denver. Um, would I do it now? No. <laughs> Especially not with that gear because I, I I feel like I've advanced to the point where I can hear that that stuff sounded like crap. But, uh, you know, I mean, if I absolutely had to, I would because I know I can, but I would rather not. I mean, I, I think you get what I'm saying. You go out there with what you have, you figure out the way to make it work, and you listen to what's going on in that room, and you have to make it sound good in that room. As you said, the moon gels, uh, learning how to tune the drums, those are both very big important things. Um, I've even seen people use those little 50-cent sticky hands that you get out of a little vending machine as moon yeah, gels. Yeah, it's basically the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. can use that in a pinch if you lose one. The importance of those things can't be uh, overlooked because if you get a room that sounds – Okay, and then a drum kit that sounds like it's been you know left outside in the rain for six months, <laughs> then you're gonna come out with a really crappy recording, and uh, yeah. you know just knowing how to tune it and knowing how to keep control of some of those frequencies, and uh, you know a Canon WD40 for the squeaky bass drum pedal, you know things like that, uh, those can make a world of difference in your recording. If the drums really suck, uh, here's something you can say. I think this kit's better for live than for the studio. So let's rent something. <laughs> right. I, I'm nice. pretty sure I got that from a uh, mixer man. Nice. Nice. That That's an interesting way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, th this kit is really just, it's better suited for a live performance. And, uh, <laughs> I think we're going to get a better sound uh, mm -hmm. with the options from our local drum workshop. Right. And of course, if you don't have something like that, what it probably, you know, if like if you live in a smaller area and there's nothing like that that you can rent something from, um, then, you know, maybe get to know all of the major players in your area and see if you can't, uh, you know, borrow a drum kit now and then, you know, for a little bit of a fee, just a rental kind of a thing. Something. You, you should be able to find something because there are drummers everywhere. They're crawling out of the woodwork like that, like that house that had all those brown recluse spiders coming out of the walls. There's just <laughs> drummers everywhere. So. You should be able to find something, you know. Um, and a band that's going to record, if, uh -huh. if they're planning to do some recording, they should be looking and contacting their own network of bands mm -hmm. to get the best possible instruments yeah. to do this recording. I agree. You know, I it mean, shouldn't be the engineer's job for that. Oh, I, 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 I have two standpoints on that. And one is that, you know, on one hand, I agree. And on the other hand, I, I, I like to capture the way that the band sounds playing their own instruments. It's just a different approach to it. But I totally understand the point that you're trying to make and that they should have really well-tuned instruments that are ready to go out there and be challenged in the studio. So fix any problems with the intonation if you're going to use your own stuff. Fix any problems with uh, with the performance of your gear if you're going to use your own gear. Um, yeah. But if you have the option to rent, to borrow something from uh, some of the other players in your area that you know is top-notch and you like the way that that sounds for you, then by all means do it. But if you're if you're insisting you on using your stuff... You shouldn't make a radical change, but if you're... Right. Say you're, you've got a, a $300 Les Paul right? and your friend in another band is happy to loan you his $1,500 Les Paul. Mm -hmm. They're similar guitars, but they're going to record much differently. Oh, definitely. And I can agree with that. Okay, let's move on from gear. Sure. I think we've covered acoustics mm -hmm. as much as we can. Quick note about the Glenn Johns overheads. 
I've never really been a fan of that. I'm not even the, I'm not familiar with it. Okay, well it's it's a it's a two mic overhead system where uh-huh. the mics are equal distance apart, but one is directly above the snare and then the other one is over by the floor tom. I have seen that. Okay, I just yeah. didn't know the name associated with it. Okay. Okay. And usually there's a a kick drum right. mic and there might be a closed mic uh for the snare. Mhm. But it it doesn't tend to go beyond like four, mm-hmm. but it's it's like an asymmetrical uh, setup essentially. Mm-hmm. I can and, see that. And in the clips, I think it was the third set of clips, maybe the fourth set of clips in there. Mm-hmm. I was here. I kept hearing that the snare was over on the right rather than in the center. Mm. So you know, that's just something that that's always going to bother me personally. I like a spaced pair, mm-hmm. even if it's too wide or there's not enough center image. I think having a close mic on the kick and the snare, that's going to bring in your center image just fine because mm-hmm. those are always the loudest instruments in the drum kit. So, Oh, I, I completely agree. And I'm even a big advocate for, you know, along the minimalist approach, mono overhead. You know, I used to use an Audio-Technica AT2020 as a mono drum overhead to capture all the toms and just the sound of the kit and the room, and then just close mic the kick and the snare. And that worked really well on some projects. Would I cut a metal record like that? Probably not, unless I absolutely had to, and I would just say it was a demo and move on. But, uh, you know, there was this acid rock trio in uh, in the uh, Littleton, Colorado area that I did uh, called Alternum Divide, and the drum sound I got from those guys in in their basement was just phenomenal just based on that three-point miking and i was i I, that's one of the proudest uh minimalist drum approaches that i have in my you know recording history i'm 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 still proud of that one and that was i consider myself to have sucked back then but i'm still proud of the way that those (laughs) drums came out you know what i mean i mean yeah you got minimal phase issues going on because you got only three mics going on uh you've got a really well-tuned kit and a really good player in a decent sounding room and everything is just kind of popping and it just sounded really good you know so even if it's just a mono overhead it can work i don't know mono overheads have always been a problem for me in the mix Mm. um i understand like why to use it but i'm always wanting the drums to be wider or larger than life and you can deal with it i I think my first trick to get that fake wideness would be to actually add symbol samples Hmm. so just in the transition points um, you know, the start of each chorus and things like that, add in stereo cymbal samples. I could see that. I could see and that. I, th- I think that's what I would use first. Maybe Rather like, than using like a stereo widener right. or something like that, just yeah, add in. Don't mess with the phase with the stereo widener. That could that could cause it to sound weird. Um, you know, I mean, unless you're going for it to sound weird, which is valid, but uh, yeah. odds are you're not. So I wouldn't I wouldn't mess with a stereo widener unless you had to. Um, I, if, I love processing like uh, stereo drum overheads with MS mm. with an MS uh, compressor. Mm-hmm. And that's just my favorite thing. What's the you, benefits that you get out of that? Just the control over the width mm-hmm. to compress the sides uh, less than the center and to increase the level of just the sides. I could see that. So so that's that's how I do it. I usually use like the, uh, the T-Rex white 2A. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that one a lot because it's, it's not too aggressive, but compressing the, the kick and snare aspects of the overheads and then just bumping up the level of the cymbals. Basically, right. the extreme sides, that's my go-to and basically my template now for drum overheads. It always works for me. Nice. Now, I, I, I tend to... Um, I, I like my drums to be symmetrical if I do have a stereo overhead. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm the same with you. I, I like it to be big and full and present and take up, a, you know, a, and have a large presence in the mix. Um, at, at the same time, I, I like to, if, if, if somebody sends me um, something that has only a mono overhead, uh, I'll just keep everything in the center for that and then just throw the guitars over there and then maybe do a little bit of a stereo 
stereo widener on just the super high frequencies of the drums in just bury it a little bit, you know, and that way it yeah. gives a little bit of a presence of it. But I, I don't do that very often. I don't find it to work on everything. Um, most of the time I'll just leave it mono and call it a day and not worry too much about it because I've still got, um, you know, usually in those instances, unless that mono overhead is capturing everything, you know, like I don't have any close tom mics, things like that, then I'll just, um, if I've got close tom mics, I'll just use the toms to get that stereo spread and just leave it, uh, you know, let the cymbals be in the center and not worry too much about it. Otherwise, if I don't have that, then odds are I'm going for something that's going to be not necessarily a big sounding rock record, you know, and so even in that situation, I don't worry so much about it. But it's just uh, two sides of the same coin, just different approaches, both being valid. But I can totally understand what you're saying with yours. And uh, for the most part, I try to get the same thing. You don't have to be so diplomatic. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I was just explaining different viewpoints on it. Um, um, but I was just... Let's, let's move on. Let's, sure. uh, I, think, I think we've uh, covered the discussion for sure. this segment. And uh, let's just get into uh, whatever. Sure. Right, let's make a cut here. Sure. Okay, so once again, joining us is uh, Brandon S. Heyer. What's up? It's been a long time since you've been on the show. It has. You were on the show, uh, well, on the show that was released April 4th, 2012, mm -hmm. show 162. And at that point, you had just restarted, uh, re... Re-resurrected. <laughs> uh, the Metal Shop Podcast. Yeah. And you went for about a year. Mm -hmm. And then... What happened? Uh, life. Life. Um, a lot of things got kind of kicked in my uh, face. Um, tried to start a studio. Didn't end up having enough time to focus on trying to find clientele because of uh, developments in my home life. We'll talk about those in a moment. Um, also, um, a failed attempt at starting a record label around the same time. Um, we'll just say that uh, some poor decisions were made, but I signed a non-disclosure, so I can't go any further into that. Wink, wink. Um, anyway, so I uh, wound up having to quit the label that I brainstormed and co-founded during all of that. It became very difficult for me to try to focus on putting out, uh, you know, the, the the podcast or even find energy to do it because um, what happened was around uh, April of 2012, I was moving in with my uh, with my fiance, and you know, she has kids, they have autism, and now I'm taking on the role of of their stepdad, and I've discussed that on the metal shop, you know, as well. Um, and their needs kind of superseded everything else. We're talking about, uh, you know, teenagers uh, with lower functioning autism who both require 24-hour supervision and, you know, one-on-one -on -one adult 24-hour supervision. So there's supposed to be one adult per kid, and that's, you know, unfortunately not always the case. But so one could say that my hands became full very quickly. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, you know, some people come to me and say, oh, God bless your heart and all this and, uh, you know, for taking on the role when they were, you know, and I'm like, it, it's, I'm, I'm just doing what any man should do for their family. So thank you. But I don't feel like I need any praise over that. But, um, y you know, I, I can understand why people say that, but they do. And they do say that to me and I appreciate it, but I don't feel like it's justified because I'm just doing what I should, what I feel like I should do for my kids. But, uh, you know, the, the show kind of lost priority. Um, and then by the time, you know, I started trying to think about re-resurrecting it yet again, um, you know, it was like, man, where do I even start? Is this something that I really can fit into my life at this point? You know, and I, I still... I still don't want to let it go. I still won't officially say that the show is dead again, you know? Um, like, I'm, I still toy with, you know, okay, well, what are we going to do for episode seven? That's been almost a year, you know? Um, but I just, I, yeah, th there's no time. 
there's almost no time for me to, to do that. And my um, interests and energies have kind of shifted away from doing the, the podcast toward, um, you know, doing something that's quicker to produce and easier to consume, um, at least in my view, which would be uh, YouTube tutorials, uh, as well as, um, you know, various plug-in demonstrations and walkthroughs and things like that. Things that you can consume a little bit more quickly without having to do the double ender and then edit together a whole bunch of people's audios inside of a DAW and try to get all of that done and then render it in real time because I'm still using Pro Tools freaking nine. So it's a real-time bounce. And that's one of the big things that has caused me not to not to do it because once I get it done, then I got to bounce it in real time and then I can't do anything else on my DAW because I'm bouncing audio for an hour and 20 minutes, you know? So, uh, yeah. and I, I considered switching to Reaper to do the podcast, but, you know, I, I never gave Reaper too much of a shot and I'm not horribly familiar with it. I know I should learn it at some point, but it is what it is. You know, it's just a lot of things kind of got in my way and took my attention and priorities elsewhere. And, you know, here we are almost a year after the last episode came out and I haven't done anything. And I've got, I, I even back you know back uh back stocked like five different episodes worth of segments so that it would be easier for me to put them out but i still couldn't get to it and that's frustrating because i've got some good stuff that i want people to hear great interviews with a couple of different people um uh, about recording and about uh, songs that were recorded by coastal um different uh, recording techniques i was starting to do one about uh the differences between uh you know uh, active and passive pickups based on a guitar that came with an emg81 that i was swapping out for a passive pickup and i did before and exact before and after examples with that all on a di so that I could reamp them and get the uh, you know get everything the way it needed to be. It was gonna be great, but I just couldn't get the time. So that's where the show kind of fell. Yeah, but uh, you know th that is what it is. And for, I've been fortunate to have had the chance to not only do the show. And, um, you know, still have had listeners after the re after the original resurrection of the show, after the first pod fade that happened with me, um, you know, still had people who were excited to hear that it was back. Uh, you know, that's really humbling for me um, because it's like, oh, you guys didn't forget about me. That's awesome. Um, you know, and I still get people asking about it. Um, you know, I was fortunate to have uh, moved into a very supporting and loving family situation where, you know, my my fiance supports what I want to do. So I've got a, a studio room set up in my home where I can do my projects and work on clients, et cetera, while I'm at home watching my kids. Um, I'm fortunate to have had the chance with this family to have tried to launch a business, you know, the my studio, which is another thing that was taking time away from, from the podcast and, and other things. And I eventually gave up the studio as well because, well, you can't go out and prospect for new clients um, when you have to be at home watching the kids all the time. And so as soon as I was able to get out of my lease, I let it go. And now here I am at home. Um, but I was fortunate to be able to try all of those things. And, you know, I'm even more fortunate that now that I've kind of fine-tuned my path a little bit and I've got my priorities where they need to be, I've, I, I appear to be getting some appreciation online with the various people that I'm helping on Facebook, through Facebook groups, through these YouTube videos, et cetera. And it's very flattering and very humbling. And I appreciate that. And it's, it's um, you know, it kind of seems full circle, like I'm coming back into something similar to the show, but just not the show itself, if you will. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I mean, well, you're a part of my Facebook group and I appreciate you going on there and helping when I can't, but, uh, you know, I'm online talking all the time, trying to help people out with, uh, you know, some of the recording questions and uh, trying to debunk various myths, et cetera, because I can't do that on the show anymore. And and just generally keeping people excited exactly. about recording. That too. I mean, I've seen other groups come and go on Facebook and 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 they they try to keep things interesting and then they fizzle and go like you know go the way that my show did you know um and i i i i've got a lot of time on my hands sitting here looking at articles while i'm you know cooking dinner for my kids or doing routines etc and looking at my phone in between them i see an awesome link i post it i see something interesting to talk about i post a question you know i have the time to be interactive with people and that's one of the things that keeps this group kind of thriving 
And I'm, I'm really appreciating the fact that everybody's latching onto it like they are. I think I've got like over 700 members at this point. It's only been around for like two, two and a half months. Yeah, well, it's it's a good group. Thank you. We should probably say what it's called. Sure. Brandon S. Hires Audio and Video Group. Right. And it is a closed group. So if you're in there, you, if you post something, you know, your friends on your wall aren't going to see it. So it's it's a closed group. Um, but yeah, come on over and uh, say hey. <laughs> it seems like you've built up a bit of momentum with the videos. Thank you. So hopefully you can sustain that. I hope so. And you were so. telling me earlier that you pre-record a few of them, right? And I, schedule them. I, I realize that YouTube lets you, uh, you know, pre-record something and put it up, and then schedule when it's going to come out. And I started thinking, well, I can get some some regular weekly content coming out, you know, on that kind of a schedule. So uh, I thought up this idea to do a feature that I uh, called Free Plugin Friday. I'll just take a uh, different free plugin. This last one was Valhalla Frequency Echo, you know, a great free plugin. Um, and I've been doing it since the first week of September now, I think. So it's got, there's about six of them up on my channel. Um, but I just made a whole bunch of them, you know, just there's no talking in it. I just... I pull up the screen recording software, I can't remember the name of it that I use, and um, and just open up the plugin, play some music, and then twiddle the knobs and let people see what it does, and then just close it out, you know, and tell people where they can get it, and that's pretty much it. So no talking, no distractions, you hear what you hear, and you make up your own mind about whether it's a good plugin or not. And then uh, the second one I released was uh, for Biodynamics um, Virtual Studio, and it got like 2,000 views in a day and a half. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> so, uh, you know, that was flattering. <laughs> um, and uh, people are digging it. People are looking forward to them. And that that's also really flattering. And I can just kind of backstock those. I think I've got them scheduled out through mid-November right now. Uh, make a few a week and upload them and then just kind of wait for them to publish themselves. And it's a really good way of keeping this content going. I'm, I'm loving the fact that I can do that. Yeah, if you don't have to narrate, then there's a lot less frustrating aspects mm -hmm. of making Definitely. those tutorial videos. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I get so frustrated making the videos myself for mm -hmm. the Reaper blog. Uh, I, I just give up like more than half the time. I've, so I've got a couple ideas that I've just scrapped. I'll do it another time. I've, maybe I'll just do a text post. I've done that about 20 times. <laughs> like uh, I started a series about transient design where I was narrating a whole bunch of different aspects of transient design. And I've scrapped it twice. Once I would talk for an hour and 20 minutes, figured I'd break it up into four parts. I scrapped it. <laughs> Sometimes it's for the best. It is. It totally is. As, as long as when you finally resume, it doesn't sound like you're just annoyed with the topic. Right. <laughs> come, <laughs> come at the video angrily. Right. It's when you, and, you, know, you, you that leave too. that topic for a while and then come back to it. You know, yeah. that's what I do to keep myself fresh on it. So, well, I guess the next topic, um, just for my own curiosity, sure. are, are you doing anything to monetize these videos? I've got a couple of things that I'm doing, actually, and one of them is with Waves, um, but I'll talk about that in a second. Um, I do have the, uh, you know, YouTube monetization um, AdSense thing on there so that, you know, yeah. they can, you know, the more views I get, the more click-throughs, et cetera, I can get a little bit of kickback off of that. You don't get much. But no, no. But once and, you get 500 videos with, you know, <laughs> 20,000 views on each, then it... I'll get a penny. It's important. Right. Right. But I mean, and, and the main thing isn't that I'm trying to use those as a way to monetize, but I figure if it's already there, you know, I'll just go ahead and click the button and say, yeah, what the hell, why not? What if this one gets a million views in two days, then I might get a $20 check. That'd be awesome. <laughs> you know, it, the options there, let's do it. But free plug in Friday videos are mainly so that I can get some people, uh, you know, information about some really cool plugins as well as in case, sure, selfishly drive some traffic to my YouTube page, get, you know, there's some branding involved in that, you know, branding and marketing. And that's uh, what I call pull marketing. I'm not the one who invented that term, but I, I use it a lot. Um, getting dynamic content out there and then people see it and they want to explore more because they see, hey, this guy's YouTube channel is full of some really good free plugin demos. And then they go and explore and then, hey, there's also these good tutorials and all oh, this guy does mixing, all oh, he does mastering, etc. And then next thing you know, I get uh, you know a client referral from, from one of these. So I've pulled them in with some 
content that they were looking for into what I can do, pull marketing, versus shouting at everybody. That's very similar to a lot of the clients that I get from doing the podcast. Right, exactly. You're, you're giving them something they want, and then they realize, hey, he does this. I, I trust him now, so I, I think I'll go ahead and hire him. Versus if you were to put an ad for your services every five minutes in the podcast, you'd be pushing yourself onto them, just like every local band who doesn't know what they are doing with marketing, you'd be kind of spamming people, and that would turn people off. You know, so you don't want to be pushing, you want to be pulling. And that applies to your services as a producer as well. But that's one of the reasons that I'm doing it. Um, But you mentioned monetization and there's another cool aspect about this. Um, You know, every week or every time that they blink, Waves has a sale. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, a couple of weeks ago, Waves had a sale, you know, six plugins for 29 bucks. um, And I picked one up and then I put a link to my little 10% referral thing on like 40 different audio groups. Next thing you know, in a day and a half, I have $148 in Waves credits. And I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, You mean to tell me I get like uh, the Renaissance Renaissance Max bundle for a buck because it's on sale for $149? Okay, sure. Uh, how else can I get these credits so that I can get free plugins? <laughs> so I, I started this last week, and there's only been one of them so far. Um, you know, Waves Plugin Wednesday. And it's um, sure that's a little selfish, so I can try to get some referrals in, but I'm not pushing that aspect of it on people until just the very end of the video I mentioned my referral code. But the main point is, you know, people are going to want to search for, uh, uh, you know, wa- those various Waves plugins on YouTube. And um, I'm only doing ones that I already have bought. So I'm not like downloading demos and showing it just so I can get a bunch of Waves plugins up. I'm only getting the ones that I actually bought and like. And so it's genuine. And I'm just kind of giving a walkthrough of what they do, et cetera. And then if people want to buy from Waves after that, they can use my code and it'll get me 10% to credit and it'll get them 10% off. So it's kind of a win-win without trying yeah. to sound sales pitchy about it. But um, uh, plus it's more dynamic content out there for people to get. And so I, I, I don't see anything wrong with it. And it's so far after only having one out there, I've already got another $62 in credits. So I'm just kind of thinking about what I can get next. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Oh yeah. I mean, Free Waves plugins? Why not? <laughs> All right. We're getting close to an hour of content here, so uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, okay. Thanks for coming on the show. Sure. Uh, thanks for uh, well, thanks for doing it in short notice. Oh, of course. Um, I didn't have anything else going on. <laughs> finally, a quiet moment when everyone's kids are in bed and you can do a show. Yeah, that, that can be a valuable moment in my home. <laughs> when everything yeah. is quiet, it's either a very good thing or an extremely bad thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So, Same uh, here. So, uh, and thanks again to Brock for making that awesome segment. Yeah, that was a great segment. I made a bunch of notes I was going to mention, but we kind of rambled off on different topics. So I'll just say, you know, verbal thumbs up. You did a great job on that. Thanks to everyone for uh, sending me tweets, Facebook messages, and emails saying that you guys love the show and you want to keep it going and I want to keep it going as well. So uh, we are going to do that as, uh, as much as humanly possible. Hell yeah. And um, I don't know, Does do people still say this on the show? Ride the chicken. <laughs> or is that one kind of dead and buried like my podcast? <laughs> oh, I, I, I think people are pretty sick of that one, but, uh, you know, it. whatever. Giggity. Yeah, giggity. All right. Thank you guys for having me on. And, uh, and you know, I'll express that same sen- sentiment that you guys have done a really great job with keeping this show going for a long freaking time. And, uh, you know, you guys deserve uh, all the props you can get for that because, I mean, I couldn't keep it up. And I tried twice to get my show going. So uh, I know it's a lot of work. And um, I-, I know that everybody out there appreciates it. So thank you for, for keeping this going. Yeah, thank you. And of course. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the encouragement. All right. Bye, guys. All right. Peace. Thank you for listening. The guys will be back next week. Please go to homerecordingshow.com and leave your comments.